This morning we're going to be in the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. Uh, We are an impatient bunch. I had a plaque in my house growing up that had a prayer like this, Lord, please grant me patience now. And that was just kind of a a little signifier of of, um, some of the prayers needed in our house growing up. Think about some different segments of life and the ways that we are impatient. Think about companies, stockholders who want results. Sports teams. These days with sports, it's such big business that a winning season doesn't guarantee you a job if you're a coach, right? You have to have not only a winning season, but championships and impressive winning seasons. Otherwise, you might be on the chopping block. Churches, nations, this goes on and on. People want results. If those at the helm aren't getting the results in a very timely fashion, what happens is this. There's grumbling, there's criticizing, there's second-guessing, and usually there's lots of hungry people who are there waiting in the wings to step in and try their hand at the helm to get results. This was basically Moses' lot in life. Moses was the coach of a team of grumblers. Now, I want to thank Payton this week. Payton's five years old, and he drew our picture. That would be Moses and a burning bush next to him, not a campfire. You see the green, uh, and it's even theologically accurate, it's not burning up, it's not being consumed, it's, it's still green while it's burning there. And this was Moses. Um, he had players, coaching staff, and fans, all of whom were grumblers. Here's the kicker. He didn't even apply for this job. He's the coach of a team of grumblers, and he didn't even really apply for it. Worse yet, this is a transition year. Those who are sports fans understand this. When the management of your team comes out and says we're in a transition year, what does that mean? That means this. We're not really going to win the Stanley Cup, the Super Bowl, the World Championships, whatever it is this year. We're in a building process, right? So what does that mean for you fans? Brown bag over your head like Cleveland, right? That's what you're thinking. We have another year of building. Well, that's basically Moses where there's milk and honey, but not yet. That's coming. There's going to be a championship, but it's not yet. So this is, this is Moses' deal. If God hadn't stepped in on several occasions and essentially proven Moses' authority, I think there would have been a hostile takeover several times over with these people and Moses. When you stop and think about his lot in life, I don't know how well you know the story of Moses, but when you, when you consider why all this complaining, maybe you've seen a coach or a CEO get fired and you think, wow, they've had actually relative success in some really, really hard times. While this complaining for Moses, think about Moses. All he had ever done is this, demonstrate in unprecedented kinds of ways that God was with him. He had been up to the mountain to meet with God. Remember, he came back and his face was glowing because he had been meeting with God. Not only that, he had freed well over a million uh, people who were slaves from the most powerful ruler in the land. He had self- selflessly pleaded with God on behalf of the people most of whom's requests were kind of petty when you consider all things. And then the Bible says that he was a man of huge humility. And yet here he was being criticized and grumbled against. It's actually quite a resume, but people weren't happy with his leadership. <clears throat> when you are called to a position where you are, where you are to speak out and speak up in the way that Moses did, does and, and was, you will face opposition. Every single leader in any realm should expect and does expect conflict. That's part of the role of being in that, in that role, in that job. 
It's why the Bible instructs those who lead to do so with all diligence. Because those who try to silence God's speaker, and this morning I just want to coin a little term for them. They will be called the shushers, okay? They will always be there. If you ever stand up and speak for God, there will be people there saying this, shh, usually not quite so polite. They will oppose you. No matter what realm or sector you go in to speak for God, they will be there. Let me fast forward in Moses' story to just a little bit. These are some run-ins with the shushers that he faced. God calls him to speak out and to speak up, and he bumps into some, some shushers. Here's the scenario right now. God is in the process of liberating a nation of slaves. You know what that involves? It involves change. You know what people hate, by and large? Change. You don't like it rummaging around your pocket and falling in your couch? People don't like it in churches. People don't like it in nations. It, it creates movement. It creates waves. Here's God liberating them from slavery, but there's change going on, and so there's some problems. Here's Exodus chapter 5. They, the Shushers, found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh. ESV says, You've made us stink to Pharaoh. I like that and his officials, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Who's leading the charge of the people being freed from slavery? God. What are the shushers saying? God judge you for doing this. Moses and Aaron are just following, obeying God, and yet they're being shushed. Here's the second one. Exodus chapter 16. The cycle continues. These are like now hungry survivor cont uh, contestants. They're super hungry. They're turning on their leaders, and here's what they say. In the desert, the whole community of Shushers grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What was Moses and Aaron doing? Following God, leading them where they should go. And yet the Shushers come and tell Moses and Aaron, but they're in the wrong. You may never lead a nation of over a million people to, to freedom. Okay, and That's probably just a fair statement this morning. Okay, But as you go, as you speak out, you will be opposed. How you respond in that moment basically determines your legacy. Are you going to obey the shushers when they tell you to sit down and be quiet? Or are you going to obey God? Are you going to kind of shrink back down to the norm, to the masses, and not speak out for what you know is right and true? That right there is your legacy. Yesterday, we're driving uh, home, and my daughter Tegan was asking mom something, and it sounded like this from the front seat. So mom says to Tegan, sweetie, you'll have to speak up. I can't hear you. And every time that Tegan was trying to talk, the toddlers who were right behind us were kind of on this, you know, wave cycle of like getting louder or laughing right at the time when, when Tegan would try to say it. That doesn't help that our car is 59 feet long and once you get past about row nine, it's really hard to hear. Uh, we're not the quietest vehicle driving down the road. But this goes back and forth about two or three times. And so finally, in the front, we just can't hear. And so finally, you know, mom shouts, she says, Tegan. If you want to be heard, you need to speak up and be louder than the toddlers. Well, the toddlers saw this as a challenge. So they ramped up the decibel level like 10 times. And they're now going, Aah! and it was hilarious, except for Tegan. So um, 
I bring that story up because of this. Uh, today we're going to look at Moses. This is God telling Moses, Moses, you are going to be my mouth. You're going to speak up. And you need to speak up to be heard over the din of grumblers, over those who would oppose you. Pharaoh's not just going to usher you out politely the first time you ask if you say please. So you're going to need to speak up. Exodus 3 is where we're at this morning. What I want to do this morning is this. I want to read through two chapters. Catch this. Two chapters of essentially Moses not wanting to respond yes to God's invitation. We're in a series called The Step of Yes. And it's looking at how people respond when God invited them to do things. Some great, Moses is one of the most famous people who ever lived. Not just for Christians. And yet what we see in his leadership and in how he responded is two chapters of dodging. Now, uh, we're going to look for a moment at basically Moses' call to ministry And we've looked at several people in the Bible for this. And normally when a church does this, they would gather together a pastoral search committee and they might interview different candidates and do this kind of thing. The way that God does it in in Exodus 3 is he sends this talking burning bush. He shows up in in the form of that. And it's quite the selection committee. Uh, Mind you, Moses is in the desert because he basically started off his his leadership in the flesh, if, if you will. Young leaders tend to do this. They see things wrong, and they want to do something. They want to act on something. I love that. Ben was, uh, was an intern of mine way back when. Back when he was 6'9". No, wait, he's still 6'9". Um, but he was, he was my intern, and Ben was the kind of leader, when he first came on in youth ministry, where he would go and do things. Now, here's what's the deal with, with young leaders. Oftentimes, it's the wrong thing. Right? They go in, they, they want to charge in and do something, and, and sometimes, many times, it's the wrong thing. And I remember telling Ben one time, I had a conversation with him after youth group was all over, and we were just talking through the night and some different things, and he had taken some decisive action to, to do some things. And I told Ben this, I said, Ben, I would, rather, I would rather train up a leader any day who has initiative and wants to go do stuff and steer that person than to have someone sitting there doing nothing and not have the courage to step into situations where I have to constantly be behind them, you know, kind of with the, with the whip saying, go, go do something, make a mistake. I mean, let's do something here. So I told Ben, that's the kind of leader I love to see. Moses was that kind of guy. He sees things going on. He goes in to correct it. Now, he killed a guy. Ben never killed anyone that I know of. I would have had to really come down heavy. But here's what God did to train up this leader and to kind of mold and shape him. He sends him off into the, into the wilderness. So Moses is off in, in the land of Midian, and that's why he's there. And God's using this time um, to, to steer and train him up. We pick up the story in chapter 3, verse 1, and it says this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. 
Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. Then the angel said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Masters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, in this revelation, God is revealing himself to Moses, and we, we begin to see kind of this twofold nature of God being revealed. The first is in this nature of a holy one, a burning, all-consuming fire. And God says, don't come too close. You get too close to fire, you get consumed. And that's, that's the presence of God. That's, that's His holiness, a blazing fire living amongst you. There's a sense of fear that comes over Moses. He hides his face. There's respect there. There's take off your, your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. But we also begin to see the other side of God. The other nature of God that's being revealed here is that of friend. It seems like a paradox, doesn't it? You can't get too close. He's altogether different from you. He's an all-consuming fire, but he's also your friend. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see that that God spoke to Moses face-to-face as if two friends are sitting and talking with each other. It's a beautiful picture as we start to move forward and and we begin to see that. God tells Moses the reasons for him coming to, to reveal himself to him. The sufferings of his people has touched his heart. He has seen the afflictions of the Israelites. He wants to communicate that to Moses and tell him that. Now, isn't it true that God, with a single word, could just accomplish whatever he wants to do? Of course it is. He's God. He has the ability to just do that. And yet, what he does instead is he comes and he seeks out this kind of outcast shepherd in the wilderness. He invites him into it. Moses had already failed once, and here's God seeking him out and choosing him to partner. He does this because of relationship. God partners with people. It's a powerful, powerful picture. Look at verse 8 and verse 10. Verse 8 says this, God talking, I have come down to deliver. And then verse 10 says this, I will send you. So God's going to be the one delivering, but he's going to use Moses. And there it is. In 8 to 10, there's no, uh, there's no conflict there. Those are working in unison. God's going to be doing it through Moses. And that's the picture that we keep seeing. Here's what's incredible. It's not just that Moses was invited. Abraham was invited. Uh, Joshua was invited. Gideon was invited. These great heroes of the faith that we're seeing. What we see is that God chooses people still today. God still invites people. You are invited into this partnership with God. If you're a Christian here this morning, 
then in a very general sense, you have been called to speak up. You see, every single Christian is called to bear witness to Jesus Christ. And to just that's, that's part of why we're still here, is that we are to bear witness, we're to be God's servants, God's agents, to, to share and bear the good news. 2 Timothy 4.2 is an older pastor talking to a younger pastor saying this, You, Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Now, there's a little bit of discussion amongst the scholars about what's, what seasons that is. It could mean at least two things. It could mean the seasons of life Timothy goes through. Hey, Timothy, when you're on the mountaintop and you're just, it's all clicking and you feel filled with the Spirit of God and you just feel on fire to share the, to, to share the good news, do it. When you're in the dumps and your circumstances are against you and you're sick on top of that and you're really struggling with temptation, preach the Word of God. Do it. That could be one sense of the in-season and out-of-season. The other in-season and out-of-season is this. Do you notice that the people you share your faith with are sometimes in-season and sometimes out-of-season? You know what I'm talking about with that? Sometimes they're really receptive, right? I call that bump, set, spike. When someone says, um, I'm, I'm wondering about my purpose in life. I just wonder if there's a God and if, and if there's a reason why I'm here. If only God would tell me why I'm here. I have literally had people say that to me. And I just, I mean, I think I'm on candid camera for a second. And then I just go, thank you, Lord. It's a bump set. All I have to do is just swing my arm forward and spike the ball. That's it. And I just say, well, let me tell you about it. God does have you here for a reason. And, and, and I just begin to share the gospel with them. That's in season. Out of season is when, is when people are, are more resistant. And that's how it's going to be. The general call for every Christian is that we are called to speak up. The moment you become a Christian, you become a witness to the good things Jesus is able to do. In Luke 14, just jot down, if you're taking notes, jot down Luke 14. It's worth a read later on. But Jesus is teaching on this. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. And he says this. He basically describes this picture of a feast that Father is putting on. And he's telling people to go out and invite people to the feast. And what happens is that people begin to make excuses. No one really seems interested in the feast. They're outside in the rain and they're starving, but they can't really get it through their head of what it would be like to be inside and warm and around a table and and in a family and eating something really yummy. So there's resistance and there's excuses that go on. And what does Jesus say but this? He says, keep going on out to the further reaches. Just keep on going. Oftentimes, those who have the most and those who are kind of closest and most readily available are most resistant to it. Part of sharing the kingdom, part of us speaking out as a Christian is to wade into that anyways. To to win them over in a winsome way and say, I know you don't even feel like you're hungry. I know you don't feel like you want to come in. But let me continue to paint this picture of what that is. That's speaking out in a general way. We use this word share around here a lot. The idea of share is just to be sharing the good news, sharing the gospel with people. There's also speaking out in a very specific way. And Moses is going to show us what it looks like to be called into a position to actually be the mouth of God to his people. That's basically what God tells him he's going to be. We see this in other places. Paul's specifically called to preach to the Gentiles. Remember that? He says, I want to go and preach where no one else has preached before. That's who I'm called to go preach to. Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. Matthew was called to reach specifically Jewish people. That's why he starts his Gospel with a giant 
lineage leading up to Jesus. Because if the Messiah didn't come from that, then it doesn't make any sense. So he was called to speak to the Jews. Jonah was called to speak very specifically to those God-haters in Nineveh. Remember that? You take Philip. Philip was called very specifically to go and talk to that guy cruising by. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's on a chariot. Go talk to him. So in a general sense, we're called to proclaim the good news. But then there are individual specific calls to speak out in the moment. Sometimes as a lifelong mission, like Paul to the Gentiles, sometimes in a very specific instance where God needs a convert to open up the African continent. And so he says, Philip, I'm going to zap you over here next to this chariot. You're going to win a convert, and you're going to baptize him on the spot. It's going to open the door of the gospel to the continent of Africa. Let's, uh, let's look at his response. Verses 11 and 12 are Moses' response to this. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. It seems that tending sheep in Midian for all these years has genuinely humbled Moses. If you think about it, the kind of circumstances that he was raised in, he probably could have had reason to boast or kind of posture about, about the different skills he had had. He was raised in privilege, and yet he really had a low view of himself. Interesting that one of the shushers that's loudest in some of your heads comes from you. It's self-doubt. It's you can't do this. And it's just, it's just constant shh. I think I should say shh. And sometimes it's the self-doubt. You know what's interesting about a low self-esteem, a low view of oneself? It's, it's the other side of the coin to pride. We see pride often as someone who's, you know, got their chest out, they're strutting their stuff. They're always talking about themselves, about how great they are, whatever. Who's focused there? The focus is on the person, right? The flip side of that, though, is this. I can't do it. I don't have the skills. I this, I that. Who's the focus? The person talking. So here's Moses with this, with this low view of self. He's so focused on himself. Look at how Moses answers. Who am I that I that I? And God answers this way. I will be with you. I am. I am. I send you. That's if you read all of them, you see Moses focused on himself. God, God rebutting basically with saying, but it's me. Here's the point of that. This is worth writing down. It doesn't matter who I am if the great I am is with me. We just sang about that. Or actually, we're going to sing about that. This, this concept of, of not worrying so much about who you are and getting hung up and focused on yourself. Look at verse 13 with me. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I tell them? Now, verse 13 is really telling to kind of see where Moses' head is at. Did you see it? He says this, if I go to the people. I think he's still weighing the decision. He's, it's definitely not a step of yes. God says, you're going to go do this, go do it. He doesn't say, okay, right away, all the way, don't grumble or complain. Instead he goes, oh wait, if I do this. And he starts to stall and stammer. And he starts putting up scenarios. He's really not interested in going. Parents see this all the time with their kids. Kids start putting up scenarios with things. But don't think, parents, that we don't do this ourselves. 
So many times we'll do this with our boss. So many, well, what about this? And, and if that, and if I do that, what's happening is we're, we're stalling. God then reveals himself to Moses in a way that he has not yet done before. He shares his personal name. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God has always wanted people to know him, not in some general way, but in a specific way. He starts with creation, which is a, which is a general sense of revealing who he is, such that people are without excuse to see that there has to be a creator to this. But he begins to move in more specifically. And in this invite to Moses, we basically, we basically get to see a hint at what's to come. God is now sharing with Moses his personal name, saying, here's who I am. I'm the God of the living. I'm the one who's going to be with you. Yahweh is the, is the name translated there in verse 15. Usually in your English Bible, if you see the Lord, and the Lord has all caps, but the little O-R-D is, is smaller, that's the word Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. It's revealing his character. He's basically saying the God who really acts in history. That's why he brings up Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. That's who I am is. Now you can imagine the utter outrage that goes on. Jews today even will never say the personal name of God out loud because it's so holy. So you can imagine the utter outrage centuries later when a person would walk along and take that name for himself. John chapter 8 records it for us. John, uh, Jesus is talking to some detractors, some shushers of his own, some Pharisees. And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to kill him. Not understanding what I am is and what Jesus is really telling him there. You don't know why, why is that such a big deal that, that he would pick up. So he's claiming to have existed before Abraham. But you can see that's God's personal name, and Jesus is taking it for himself. When you look at Jesus, when you fast forward through time and you see Jesus, he's the crowning revelation. Here's God now revealing his personal name to Moses. That's a massive thing. He hadn't revealed himself to anyone in 430 years by this point. And now he's giving Moses his personal name. And as we move forward in history, Jesus then comes and walks amongst us, and he speaks to us loudest by being with us. So, Moses has been given an assignment. He's going to liberate the people. He's going to speak up. He's going to be the voice of God. And it's on good authority. The great I am is sending him and is going to be with him. All right, Moses, we're all ready. Ready, set, and then what does he do? But. He does the ready, set, but. You ever but God? I mean, here's the great Moses, and he's butting God. But. Parents love it. Teachers love it when people butt them, right? No, they don't. Look at verse, uh, look at chapter four. Four verses one to nine. It says this. Then Moses answered back. Now, usually we read Moses with like Charlton Heston type voice, but you have to be whiny here. You have to, you have to read it how he's probably saying it. It's not, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. I don't think he's doing that. That's not what he, eh, uh, that's what he's doing more. 
But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put your hand, uh, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Verse 6, again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. That's a disease. Then God said, put your hand back in your cloak. So he put it back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. (coughs) Here's what God's doing. Instead of coming down harsh on Moses for butting him, he basically is graciously giving him some reassurances. He's saying, here, let me give you three signs. These three signs are going to show that you have the authority, that God really did appear to you. These are actual things you can show in front of the people, and then they'll listen to you. I think they're not only meant to be a stamp of authority for the people, but I think also reassurance for Moses. It's clear that Moses isn't just gung-ho to go, to go obey God in this. He has tons of self-doubt. And so God is graciously giving him some reassurance and some courage. Evidently, it doesn't work. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who made the man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? What Moses is doing here is he's focused on the massive task and he's focused on his lack rather than on God. What's God doing? God is continually showing himself. I'm with you. Look at these signs I just gave you. I'm going to be with you. His claim of inadequacy is really common. We've seen this over and over and over again. God invites a person into uh, some kind of a task, some kind of an assignment, and they're filled with self-doubt. Gideon. Where Where did he find the mighty warrior Gideon? Remember? He's hiding. He's hiding in the wine press because it's scary outside. And so God comes to him and says, mighty warrior. Gideon's like, oh, okay, do you know I'm hiding right now? Filled with inadequacy. Saul hides in his baggage. 1 Samuel 10. Solomon says this. He says, I'm a child. I don't know the first thing about anything. That's where he was at when God called him. Isaiah simply said, woe is me. And Jeremiah points out how young he is. I'm a youth. I don't know how to say anything. So over and over again, if you are filled with self-doubt, when God comes to you, don't expect it necessarily to just be filled. I know it's from God if I know I have the confidence to do it. Baloney. Read the people of the scriptures. What happens often is you think, God, you've got the wrong person. That's certainly where Moses was at. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, actually points out that Moses was quite skilled. Remember, Moses was raised in a palace. He was trained in these things. 
In 7.22, he says this, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So he didn't even have an accurate view of himself. But God engages. Moses, I'm the creator. I made your mouth. I'm, I'm able to make one speak and one not be able to speak. Verse 12. <clears throat> now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Um, if you've ever doubted or worried or fretted about how to say something, you know you're called to walk into a situation and say something, but you just don't know how to say it. You've been there. I know you have. I know many in this room not only have been there, but may be sitting there right now. This is an incredible verse for you. This is a hope-filled verse for you. God just got done saying this. I made your mouth. I made the ears and the mind that are going to receive the message that I have given you to speak to them. I'm the creator. I'm going to fill in all the gaps that you have. If it's the Lord's will, if he's sending you, you can go in confidence. Look at what he says. He will be with your mouth. If you're having a difficult time saying, I don't know how to say it or what to say, God's going to be with your mouth if you're going in, the, in God's will. He will teach you what to speak. Many of you here aren't wondering if you should speak up about a certain situation. God's made that perfectly clear to you. That's not the question. The giant question for you, the reason you're stalling, the reason you're kind of hedging and dodging is this. You don't know how to say it. So it's not a matter of if I should speak up. It's how do I say it, though? And so that's got you paralyzed. Let me throw out a couple uh, of scenarios that might be in front of you. Maybe it's confronting a family member who you see is veering off course. You know what families can tend to do? They tend to talk about it to each other. Hey, do you see mom doing this? You see Uncle Joey? I mean, you see what's going on with that? And then, and then this deadly phrase. And someone should really say something, huh? And no one stands up and has the courage and has the love for Uncle Joey to risk relationship. Instead, it's just like dripping honey of an enemy by not saying anything. Maybe you're faced with that right now, confronting a family member, veering off course. Maybe it's finally speaking the gospel to that workmate, to that neighbor who's been asking questions. They, they're in a situation. You felt the urge to share, but something has shushed you. And so you've stopped and not said anything. Maybe it's finally in that mode. Maybe it's standing up for a wrong that is being committed right in front of you. Your work has a new policy that is flat out immoral or wrong. Other people are whispering about it. You're called to speak up about it. It's not a matter of, should, should I say something or not? I know I should. It's just, I'm not acting on it because I don't know how to say it. You know, when I want to be taught what to say, it's before. Before I enter into a situation, I wish I had a script. I wish I had it all laid out for me. I wish that God would just say, I'm going to teach you what to say now so that you'll sleep really, really good tonight and then go into this meeting tomorrow really prepared and know that it's all going to go well. What God says to Moses is this. He says, go. I've heard your, you know, I've heard your bickering and your butts and all of that. Still, I want you to go. And I will teach you what to speak. You know what he's going to do? He's going to teach him on the way. 
You ever entered into a meeting with someone, gone into a situation, you knew it was going to be a hard conversation. You knew you wanted to honor God with your mouth. You knew you wanted your words not to build up and defend your name and honor, but God's name and honor, and to build up the other person, and yet you just didn't know how to, how to say it. So you've lost sleep, you've skipped meals, your stomach has churned, you've had sweaty palms, your heart rate has skyrocketed. You wish God would give it to you now, but he does it as you obey, as you move forward, as you walk in it. That's when he's going to teach you. Sometimes the stalling reveals what's really in the heart. Sometimes it's just, God, I want to do this, but I don't know how. Sometimes it's flat-out disobedience. It's a lack of trust. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 kind of gets to to the crux of it. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Like he just, finally he's like, he just lays it out. Moses just says, send someone else. You got the wrong guy. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. Now I'll be with both mouths and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and you shall... And he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do these signs. All right, so Moses finally gets to the crux of it. He's not trusting God. He's being dis. I don't want to do this. Send someone else. You see that God gets angry with Moses. Some of you in this room believe that anger is a sin. You were taught that anger is a sin. Anger is an emotion created by God. God gets angry. We're instructed in the scriptures, be angry, but do not sin. So here's, here's God getting angry with Moses because of his lack of trust, his lack of faith. Think about a child not trusting a parent. Trust me, you can do this. I'm right here. I'll be with you. Kids don't mean to do this, but their lack of faith... Their lack of trust is actually dishonoring to the parent. That's what we're doing with God when we don't trust his word. We're saying there's something in your character. I don't trust you. You're not not steady ground to stand on. So I think God is, is hurt by that when we don't trust him fully and step on and lean in on him. Here's what's beautiful about the character of God that we're seeing is this. God is once again, he's very, very patient but he's pressing. Do you notice he doesn't let Moses off the hook? Send someone else. Okay, fine, enough bickering. We'll go with someone else. He's patient with Moses, but he still presses him forward. You're still going to do this? I'll bring Aaron into the picture. I'll bring a comfort for you. You'll do this in tandem. He's going to be the mouthpiece. You're going to be like God to him. I'm going to tell you what to say. You're going to tell him what to say. He's going to speak it to the people. Then he says at the end, I love it. By the way, don't forget your staff. You're going to want that. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to need that one. I can promise you that one in the future. I want to close with this. Ecclesiastes 3, 7. You don't need to turn there. You can just write it down. But it says that Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything under the sun. And in Ecclesiastes 3, 7, it says this. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. My question for you is this. We, we just did some spiritual disciplines on the discipline, spiritual discipline of being silent and not leaning on words to, to you know, defend yourself and talk and control things and manipulate things, but just to be silent before God and let God be all of that. 
So there's a time to be silent and a time to speak up. Some of you might be have, have some churning going on right now because you know God is calling you to speak up and you're like Moses. You just don't want to do it. Send someone else, God. Someone needs to say something. But make it be someone else. I don't want to be that lightning rod. This is where you must keep in step with the Spirit. I ask a question for your community groups this week. How do you know? How do you know when you're supposed to keep silent in a situation? Jesus was silent as a lamb before it shears when he's filled with all these accusations. If anyone could have said something to set the record straight, it was him. But he was on an assignment, so he stayed silent. But at other times, Jesus spoke out. He's, he's a beautiful example. Just walk your way through the Gospels. Watch where he's quiet. Watch where he speaks up. That's our model, right? But how do we know? How, what does it look like to keep in step with the Spirit and know... Right now, I need to press in on this, even though there's some resistance. Nope, over here, this is throwing, this is casting pearls before swine. I'm going to stop sharing the gospel in this moment because this is, this is not going well. And, and, and walking in that. When are you to remain quiet? When are you to speak up? I know this. I know that I have been given an assignment. I did not ask to be a preacher. That's not what I wanted to do. That wasn't my life's goal. But we just sang a song about total surrender. And a part of walking in the Spirit is just surrendering your life to God. And God began to steer my life into a place where He gave me an assignment. It's on good authority. It's from Him to be here and to proclaim. So the book of Isaiah talks about some really bad shepherds who are like mute watchdogs. So lest I be accused before God as a mute watchdog... Let me tell you what I'm called to do by the authority of God. It's to preach the gospel. Week after week, I want to stand up here and in front of you, and by the authority of the word of God, I want to warn you that you are in dire danger. That your life is headed for ruin, both because of the choices you've made and because of the sin nature that you have in you that gets it wrong, that rebels against the holy God, the all-consuming God that we just talked about. There's good things that you don't do. There's wrong things that you do do. But here's the beautiful picture. It's the word grace. It's the fact that Jesus came to the earth. This is God paving a way for us to be able to approach this all-consuming burning bush God and be able to be set free, liberated, in the same way that Moses was used to liberate. Jesus, in a far greater way, was used to liberate us. Look at Colossians chapter 1. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's great news. That's grace. It's our favorite word as Christians. We don't get what we deserve. Praise God. That's why Christians can have a goofy smile on their face at any time of the day or night. Hey, your life's a mess. Circumstances are going against you. Why are you so happy? Man, I'm not getting what I deserve. Do you know who wins in the end? Me! Because I'm on Jesus' team. That's why. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus in our place so we can live and go free. That's the great news, but there's a condition. That's a really beautiful gospel, and none of you 
would feel challenged by that at all or have any sense to shush what I just said. Here's where the shushers come in, okay? I'm going to preach the whole gospel to you because I don't want to be just the fluff on top part, okay? Here it is. Here's the condition that the scriptures speak to. Look at this. Verse 23. If, that's a conditional statement. It's not just automatic that everyone gets stepped in on. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Here's the simple truth. You must believe. You must put your faith in Christ. The Bible speaks about putting on Jesus like a garment, trusting to be seen with his purity. It's simple, but it's profound. You know how you show that you're in the faith? You just walk in it. That's it. You could be a little child. In fact, the Bible says if you don't come like a child to Jesus with simple childlike faith, you're not getting in. So the way you show that you're a part of God's family, you just begin to walk in that. You know what you do? You stay in that. You stay established and firm in the gospel that you received. Your eternal life with Christ begins with one simple step of yes. That's it. Yes, Lord, I believe. Many in this room are nodding their head right now because of this. They're thinking back maybe to the time when they said, yeah, I trust in that. I believe in that. It took me hearing it for years before I, I received it and said, yes, I trust in that. I'm going to now walk in that. All right, there's my assignment. My assignment is not only on Sunday mornings, but this is a giant part of my role that God's called me to, to proclaim in a place of worship on a week-to-week basis to a group of people I love, some of whom I don't even know, but I love you. What about you? What about your assignment? Think about this. I want you to think right now, where do you spend most of your day? Where do you spend a bulk of your time? I began to think about our church and your specific faces and names came to mind. And think about this. I thought about all the different places in our city that are covered with the light of the gospel just by the people who sit in here on a week-to-week basis. Here it is. Schools are covered because we have tons of students and tons of teachers. Beyond that, uh, the general public is covered because we have salesmen and repairmen here. Moms in neighborhoods. Firehouses are covered. Hospitals are covered. High-tech companies are covered. I mean, just from our little church, there's this, there's this web of the city where the light and the truth of the gospel is there. God's got you there for a reason. God's got you there to be a, a voice for Him, calling people, blind people who are walking off of a cliff to say, Psst, over here, it's this way. It's not on my authority. It's, it's from God. Just, just trust me. Come over here. Let's talk. Jesus is warning his disciples, and he begins to prophesy in Luke chapter 21. He's telling them about the fall of Jerusalem that's going to be going on. And he tells them about all these terrible things that are going to go on. But then he says this. But before all this, the shushers, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And then catch this. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, 
not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Did you catch that? I'm not going to tell you ahead of time. You don't worry about it ahead of time. When you are dragged before synagogues, that's places of worship, and those in the name of God, they'll be persecuting you. And in front of courts, they'll be persecuting you. That's going to be your opportunity to bear witness to them. Judges need Jesus too. So you be my witness, no matter where you go. This must have been uh, really comforting to the disciples, uh, not just in that season, but also in future seasons. Fast forward to Nazi Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of many pastors in Germany at the time. And he's wrestling with the same kind of challenge you and I face. Should I stay silent or should I speak up? It's easy in history to look back and say, well, of course you should have spoken up. But it's frog in the kettle, isn't it? It's a slow slide. When do we speak up? How vocal do we get? I love this quote by him. He says this. When faced with remaining quiet in the face of growing evil or speaking out at the risk of great personal health, he says this. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. I want to talk to three specific groups of people here this morning. Leaders. God has equipped you with the ability to influence others, and people tend to follow. Speak out on the name of Jesus. Some of you in here are activists. You notice injustice, and you notice inequality, like a ton of other people, but here's the difference. You're willing to say, enough is enough. We're going to do something about this. And so you rally and you organize and you mobilize and you actually do something to change it. There's so much evil in this world, you don't have to look far to see it. Maybe the, the prayer is just, God, help me focus on which one you want me to pour my life into. I can only do a few things well in this life. I can't do it all. What's my assignment from you? Leaders, activists, and dreamers. You know what dreamers are? Dreamers are people who are dumbfounded that everyone around them can kind of settle for what is and not strive for what could be. Dreamers see this preferable future of how it could be and how it should be, and they're willing to strive for it. And they sing, and they write, and they draw, and they do all kinds of things to try to get people around them to see, man, this isn't it. Let's keep going. Dreamers know all about the shushers. Shushers don't like dreamers. Shh! Knock it off. You're a crazy person. Praise God for dreamers. I hope we have some dreamers in this church that say, look around, is this all church is meant to be? Is this it? Or is there more? We have someone specifically in our men's group who called us out this last week on some things in a very loving and gentle way, but it's, a, it's an ongoing drumbeat of his. He was calling us to say, there's more, brothers. Let's do better at this. Every single one of you in this room, go with God. He'll be with your mouth. He'll teach you what to, see, to say when you need it. He has filled your heart, your mind with passion, skill, and desire. And He's done it for a purpose. My prayer this whole week for today is this. I pray today is like a starting gun for some of you. Go! Get out of here! I almost was just going to have whoever needs to do that as a sign of doing it, just walk out of the room right now. 
as a sign of saying, I'm serious about this. I'm going to speak up now about this. God's spoken to me. Some of you are on the fence. Some of you are longing for me to stop talking because there's conviction filling your life right now. Hurry up, Dave. Get the closing prayer going. I don't want to wrestle with this anymore. You're Moses right now. But God, I I don't know. I think you've got the wrong person. Can't someone else do it? There's a lot of Christians in the world. I've been there in that wrestling match. My challenge, my invitation to you is this. Stop butting God. Enough. Just go. Walk in faith. Band, I want to invite you up. We're going to sing a song right now that we sing quite a bit. And as the band sings it and leads it, I want you to remember from a couple of weeks ago, this is probably 16-year-old Samuel. Remember the stance that he took with God? Speak, your servant is listening. I'm ready. I'm available. Maybe right now you're not in the rapids of life change. There's not some big assignment of speaking out that, that you have a sense from God about. You know what I would say to you? Be ready. Be available. God's not a God of inaction. Read the book of Acts. There's this missionary thrust to get the gospel out into every nook and cranny of the entire globe. That's what God's up to. The one who's dispensing the gifts, the ones who's teaching your mouths what to say, that's what he's about. That's what the Spirit is about. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would not only make us available. Some of us have been available for decades. And now is the time. The starting gun's gone off. It's now time to step forward, enter the race, run the race. God, I pray that you would fill our mouths. I pray that the words we speak would blow us away because it's not coming from us. God, teach us to remain silent when we should be silent. But God, help us in the moment to speak up when you're telling us to speak up. We praise you and thank you for the honesty of Scripture. We love seeing the wrestling match of the great Moses. Two chapters worth of hedging and dodging. But God, you used him in mighty and powerful ways. We pray that you do the same with us. Thank you.